Well, good morning, Sedaris. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here. We're entering now into our time of teaching. So glad that you're joining us online. If you're new with us, uh, just so glad that you're here. We'd ask you to fill out one of the Connect cards, and you can see a link for that in the bottom of this video. Um, we just love to have you join and be a part of our community, even as um, we're taking steps to regather in person. And so, actually, after my message, um, uh, we recorded a short video that sort of explains our plans going forward, um, put some, some things to get excited about on your calendar as it pertains to regathering as the people of God for, for song and worship and connection. So, so stay tuned after the service um, so that you can see what those plans are and even how we think through plans um, as a church. So, so glad that you're here with me. Would you just pray as we enter into this time of teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, send your spirit now into each living room um, just to be with your people, help them to understand your word. Uh, God, in anything that's from you, may it stir the affections of your people for your son Jesus. If it's not from you, God, may it just go in one ear and out the other. We just pray now that you'd be with us in this time. Connect us by your spirit and connect us to your word so that we might grow and become more and more like your son Jesus in the world now and forevermore. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, so, so glad uh, that you're with us. We're in uh, a series that has been going on for a while now where we're looking at the teachings of the Apostle Peter. And so we're in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 15 today, just a few verses. Um, and uh, actually what we're going to be looking at is how Peter sort of uh, tells people in this part of the letter why he's writing uh, and, and one of the things that he's going to say is, this is my farewell speech. This is my farewell letter to you because I'm about to go and be with my Lord Jesus. I'm about to leave this body and die and go to be with him. And these are, these are my final words to you. And so we'll look at that in just a second. But I, but I wanted to highlight something um, for you. You've probably heard me talk about this. Uh, we're starting a book club as we press into and continue to have our eyes open and our hearts open and our hands engaged in the issues of racial justice uh, and fighting against injustice and pushing back in the ways that we can um, against that in our world, um, uh, one of the things that we're doing, just one of the things, is educating ourselves. And so uh, we've, we've decided to do a book club, uh, this book here, One Blood by John Perkins, and um, the subtitle of this book is Parting Words to the Church on Race and Love. John Perkins is a black man who has spent his whole life uh, pursuing this from within the church and um, trying to get the church active in this. And so we've decided on, on this book to read together. This will be uh, Tuesday mornings from 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. We'll get together and talk about a chapter at a time. Uh, that starts this Tuesday. So if you, if you want to join, you can still do that. If you buy this book on Amazon, it usually gives you a link uh, to the first few chapters. So we're going to be reading the introduction and chapter one and discussing that this Tuesday at 7.30 a.m. just for an hour. Um, it'll help us continue to move and grow uh, in these ways. But I just wanted to read you the, uh, just, just a few um, passages from the introduction of this book, because I think it highlights um, um, what Peter's trying to do in his final letter. This is probably the final book that John Perkins will ever write. He's written many books on the topic. Um, and to my shame, this will be the first book that I've ever read. And I'm, I'm waiting to read along with you, so I actually haven't even finished this book. I've just read the introduction in the first chapter, and so I'm going to read it along with us, and, and so that can be fully engaged, but uh, he's written many good books. Let me just read you the introduction on his farewell discourse. 
John Perkins write this, writes this, I'm 87 years old and I've lived a long life and I'm full of gratitude for the opportunities that I've had to serve a wise, merciful, almighty God. I'm continuing in awe of how far he has brought me, a poor boy from Mississippi with only a third grade education. I grew up in a sharecropping family in Mississippi and dropped out of school between the third and fifth grade. Yet by God's grace, I've lectured at world-renowned universities and received honorary doctorates. My older brother, Clyde, who served his country in World War II, was shot and killed by a deputy marshal soon after returning home. I've been spat upon and brutally beaten by police, yet by God's grace, I've worked tirelessly to help build good relations between local police and urban communities. I've ministered in country towns, inner cities, and before large crowds. I've traveled across Europe, Asia, Africa, and Latin America. I've had the privilege of teaching wide-eyed emerging leaders as well as foggy-eyed accomplished pioneers. All of this by his amazing grace. For more than 65 years, I've known the love of a wonderful woman. Together, Vera May and I have raised raised and loved eight children, 13 grandkids, and eight great-grandkids. We've witnessed the miracle of birth, but also experienced the pain of losing our oldest and youngest sons. At my age, I'm thankful to God for a mind sharp enough to keep studying his word. But like a butcher's knife, I know that repeated use means the blade will eventually become dull. I'll try not to be dull here. I've gotten most of my life, given most of my life to the cause of reconciliation, fighting the battle in the trenches and working within community development organizations. We developed the three R's relocation, reconciliation, and redistribution to offer a process to help communities work together to balance some of the inequities of life in America. By God's grace, much good work has been done, and I'm humbled to have been a part of it. But as I come closer to the end of my journey, I'm aware that community development can only take us so far because the gospel, because this is a gospel issue. The problem of reconciliation in our country and in our church is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by plans that begin in the minds of men. This is a God-sized problem. It is one only the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can heal. It requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide, and it requires that we make some uncomfortable confessions. G.K. Chesterton said, It isn't that we can't see the solution. It is that we can't see the problem. I believe the statement, this statement can be applied to the lack of reconciliation within the church today. We've not been able to arrive at the solution because we have, haven't yet seen or acknowledged the problem. The problem is that there is a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing that we can be reconciled to God, but not reconciled to our Christian brothers and sisters who don't look like us. Brothers and sisters with whom we are, in fact, one blood. I know many of you won't be able to join us for the book club. I wanted to just give you a taste because this is really John Perkins' farewell discourse. Just as Peter tells us in this passage that this letter is his farewell discourse because he knows that he will soon go be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John Perkins, as a man that's full of wisdom and Uh, experience, and he's been on the front lines fighting against this. And like Peter, he has recognized and he knows that this is a God-sized problem that cannot be fixed by 
solutions that originate in the minds of men, as I, as I just read. What he says, and what Peter will say, is that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the only thing sufficient. And it is sufficient. Now, it's not to say that other things can't be um, um, very helpful add-ons and additions and we should do that. In fact, that we're doing a book club because we know that there is much learning to do. But the word of God and the gospel is sufficient, Peter will say. And so you have to prioritize the word of God and the gospel if you want to find all the life that God has for us now and in eternity. I was thinking about that this week. Um, Grayson, my five-year-old son, has gotten really into... Um, Man vs. Wild, the show with Bear Grylls, where he's dropped into difficult situations and, and he has to survive. And he always says at the beginning, I'm, I'm being dropped into uh, the jungle and I've, I've only taken the things on my backpack. And I was just thinking, like, what are those things for us? When we're navigating the jungles of, of issues as deep and complex um, and as dangerous and as disorienting um, as this issue in our country uh, what do we bring with us? What, what, what's the one thing that we bring with us that's sufficient? Uh, I hope the answer to that is the word of God. I hope it's this book. I hope you're spending time in this book even more than you're spending time reading and listening to other things. Again, it's not that those things aren't helpful. It's just that this book is sufficient. We need it to give us our bearing. It's our compass to help us move forward. Everything else will fall short. If you don't have the word of God, you will not have what you need for reconciliation. I believe that with all my heart. And, and sometimes, sometimes, uh, maybe you've felt like this. Uh, you're just absorbing so much that it's, that it's actually, um, it's good, but, but you're not able to breathe very well. Uh, another story about my son, Grayson, uh, just this last week, uh, he's really into Legos right now, and for some reason, uh, he shoved a Lego up his nose, and he shoved it so far up there that uh, we couldn't get it out. Uh, his mom was at work at the hospital, and I, I was at home with the two boys, just failing miserably as a dad, and um, I was trying to pull this Lego out with tweezers, and I was making it worse, and he started to bleed, and there was blood coming out of his nose and out of his mouth, and Owen, our uh, 18-month-old, was screaming at the top of his lungs, and and so I rushed uh, Grayson to the ER, and after several hours, they eventually were able to remove the Lego. It, they said it had gone as far as it could go before it started coming down the throat. Um, but it was, it was scary. He wasn't able to breathe because he had shoved something up his nose um, that wasn't meant to be there. Um, what am I talking about? Well, well, maybe, maybe right now in this moment, after you have absorbed a lot and you've read a lot and listened to a lot and watched a lot of news, um, maybe you've shoved a lot of things up your nose and you're starting to feel like you don't really know uh, how to process it all or how to breathe. Uh, maybe you need to just take a step back and remove some of those things from your daily digest. Maybe you need to go back and focus on the pure air of this word. Maybe that's what you need right now. I don't know. Maybe it's not. 
But just know, like, when, we, when you shove so much stuff up there, it can get really disorienting. And this is the book that you need to make sure you're prioritizing, spending time in God's word. It will guide you in our quest for reconciliation, our quest and coming out of our ignorance and our quest to confess our own sin and inadequacy in this area. It's the word of God. And that's what Peter tells us today, that you must not forget to return to the word of God. So let's go ahead and read the passage. First uh, Peter, or sorry, second Peter chapter two, verses 12 to 15. The word of God says this, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of this body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, what are the these things? He says, therefore, the beginning of this, I'm going to remind you of these things. And I think these things he's referring back to verses 3 to 11. The last two weeks we've unpacked 3 to 11. I'll just read you a summary from Thomas Schreiner. He gives a great summary of what, what, what is the teaching. You go back and listen to this, but what are the teachings of, of these things? Uh, Thomas Schreiner says this, the therefore points back to all of verses 3 to 11. Christ has given believers everything they need for life and godliness and has called them to his powerful grace or by his powerful grace, meaning God saves us by his grace. He initiates. He's the one who sent Jesus. Jesus died for us before, while we were still sinners. Uh, God has called us to him by his powerful grace. Such grace serves as an incentive for a godly life of virtue. We talked about last week. And a life of godliness is necessary for entering the eternal kingdom. Such a godly life is not the earning of salvation, because that's by grace, but evidence that salvation truly belongs to the readers. So when, when Peter says, I'm, I'm going to give the rest of the time I have on this earth to, rem, to remind you of these things, he's talking about the, the full gospel, the gospel of grace that leads to a life of godliness and virtue um, that reminds us and confirms that we've been called by grace to God's eternal kingdom. And he uses this word here, established. He says, you've already been established in these things. What is he saying? Well, he might just be being a little bit nice here. Um, but, but I think what he's saying is, you've already been given the thing that you need for this. You already have been given the gospel. And remember, Peter's writing um, in part to, to warn people against these false teachers who are trying to add to the gospel. They were trying to teach a different gospel. They're sort of adding new religion to the original gospel message. And Peter's saying, no, you've already been established in the truth that you need. Everything you need for life and godliness, you already have. You've been established. Now compare that with the false teachers. And if you, as we go in, in the letter, what you'll see is several times he talks about these false teachers as unsteady souls. You see how that's different than established. They're ignorant and unstable, Peter will say. And then at the very end of the letter, verse 17, he'll say this, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So, so he's really juxtaposing the established steady nature of those who have received the gospel of grace 
against those who are teaching this new false religion. Even, even if it sounds like Christianity, he's saying that's unstable. Um, they're in error. They're ignorant. Remember what you've already been established in. Don't lose that. I was watching uh, just last night. I was watching. Uh, many of you have probably seen it. There's probably, I think, 25 million views um, on YouTube. Um, a short, like, 27-minute clip by Dave Chappelle, the comedian, um, a black man. And um, it's, it's, it's really um, heart-wrenching. Um, just to hear him articulate his experience of this. Uh, he too, like John Perkins, grew up in Mississippi. So he's experienced uh, the deepest parts of racism in our country firsthand. Um, but it's interesting. It seems to me the primary reason he made this clip and he made this little speech um, was he was trying to, he was, he was really asking people, why do you want me as a comedian to speak on this issue? Why are you looking to your celebrities to speak on this issue? It's very interesting. Dave Chappelle, I think, would agree with me. This is why we look to John Perkins, who for 60 plus years has given his life to this, and he's studied every facet of this, and he's experienced the civil rights movement, and he's experienced the change in our country. And now, in his farewell book, the one we'll be reading on Tuesday mornings, um, he gives us his wisdom. So who are you turning to? Who is it that is established in the fight against this that you turn to in this moment? I think think we need to search our hearts on this. Who are we turning to? Dave Chappelle, even though he had many great things to say, says, don't turn to me. I'm a comedian. I know you trust me. Who are those who are established in this fight? We need to turn to them. And I'd say as a Christian, who are those established in the gospel that we can turn to, like Peter, the rock. Who can we turn to in our times of confusion? Who do we turn to? We are sta- who, who is established? Now, what does he mean here by the truth? Uh, let me just go back and, and read in Colossians uh, chapter 1. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. Um, this same phrase is used. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae. And, and he, this will help us understand what this truth is that he's speaking about. Uh, Paul says this, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed to the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So what is the word of truth? He, he equates to the gospel. That's a Greek word that means the good news of Jesus. So, he, so what Peter is saying, I think is the same. This is all over the New Testament. The word of truth is the gospel proper. The, the core message The core teachings of the Jesus movement, starting with the apostles. And that's still the truth that we are established in and must return to. Peter says, don't forget this word of truth, the gospel. I won't let you forget it. This is my job, he says. Everything I'm going to do for the rest of my life is helping you remember this gospel truth. This truth that you need, that the world needs. No, no, no. Let's read um, the rest of that section in 2 Peter, okay? So he says, he says, uh, verse 13. 
I think it's right then, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Okay, so as long as I'm in this body, I know I'm putting it off soon. So my, my departure is coming, and, and I hope once it happens, uh, he's talking about his death there, his physical death. He's going to put off this body. He's going to depart, and I, lo- I love this language that he uses. I mean, he, he understands that this life in this body right now isn't everything that he has, that he has a life eternal with Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about, he's acknowledging that this is my farewell letter. I'm going to die soon. Um, And and he's saying that what's in this letter, uh, these teachings that I'm giving you and that I've given you elsewhere, these are the things that I hope never leave you. Even if I depart, I I hope that I presented them to you in such a way that you never stop being stirred up by them. It is sufficient. Everything I've said to you is enough to give you what you need in every season, in every era, in order to find life and godliness and move towards God's eternal future. His kingdom here and coming. Okay? Now, there's a couple things that you see in that. I don't have time to go deep into it, but one, you see the self-awareness that Peter knows that what he's writing as an apostle is scripture. So he understands that this letter will then be circulated amongst the churches, and he's assuming that it will be copied and shared, and sure enough, it was. And we still have it to this day, and it's still stirring us up and reminding us what Peter taught and what he died for and gave his life for. And and this thing is that he wants to remind us of is the centrality of the gospel and this fight against false teachers. He's saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you in the rest of this letter, this is going to help you in every season. I think he has the self-awareness to know, not just for those that are currently living at that time, but the church of Jesus Christ in every age. Because I think he knows that there will always be false teachers. There will always be new religions. There will always be new ways of of shifting and, and diverting and perverting the gospel. And so you need to hear these things in every age, so that you can stay focused on the core message and teaching of Jesus, because that's what saves you. Okay? You will always need this reminder, Peter's saying. And I'm going to say it in such a way, and I'm going to give it to you in such a way so that it will always be with you. So we know that's true. It's turned out to be true that in every age, there are people that come, um, whether it's opposed to the gospel or um, in, in uh, wolves in sheep clothing that come in and, and distort the message, add to it, uh, make it something that it's not. Make it works righteousness that you save yourself through being a good person. That's not the gospel, Peter's saying. Remember what you've been established in, that, that God did it all, that he saved you, and that when you realize that, it's the incentive to then live a life of godliness. He's saying, just be careful. He's saying in every age, there will be ditches on both sides of every issue. And that's no different now in this age, is it? There's a ditch on both sides of this debate about how do we move forward as a country? How do we seek reconciliation? How do we push back injustice? There's, there's debate and there's ditches on both sides. And Peter's saying, in order that you don't fall into either ditch, focus on the gospel that you were established in, 
John Perkins will say the same thing. Focus on the gospel that you were established in. You say, like, well, how can I trust Peter? Tell me to focus on the gospel that we were established in. Well, I think focusing on this death that he talks about is important. And when he says this, he says this interesting thing. He says, this death is coming. I know it's coming. And Jesus told me it was coming. Now, what is he talking about? You know, perhaps he had a vision or a dream, and, and Jesus actually spoke to him that your time is near. Um, but, it, but it could also just be his old age, and he knows he's a pretty old man at this point, older than most. He's in his 60s, where most people only lived into their 40s, so, so he knows death is coming near to him. It could be that. Um, but I think part of it might be a reference back to something we have recorded for us in John chapter 21. So I'm going to read that for you. In John chapter 21... Uh, This is famously after Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And then Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. After that, verse 18, chapter 21, um, Jesus says this to Peter. This is after Jesus' death and after his resurrection. Uh, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you you, you used to to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, now remember, Peter's old when he's writing this letter, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John adds this little uh, parenthetical note. He says, Jesus said this to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Now, John's writing this gospel uh, message after Peter had already died. And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified in the city of Rome upside down because he didn't want to be crucified just like Jesus. His arms were stretched out, though, and he was crucified and he gave his life as a martyr under under the emperor Nero because of his faith in Jesus. So so in the Gospel of John, John is sort of sort of giving some commentary. He's saying, like, now we see what Jesus was predicting, that Peter was going to be stretched out against his will for claiming faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's so interesting in this passage in John, uh, look at how it ends in verse 19. After saying this, after predicting that Peter would live a hard uh, life that would end in martyrdom, and Peter was probably aware that that's what Peter, that Jesus was saying. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. This is pretty profound. If anybody tells you that, that, that the reason to follow Jesus is because Jesus says it will be easy, or that he will give you the desires of your heart, or that, that he will protect you, just look at this passage. Jesus predicts, you're going to die a death very similar to mine, against your will. And then he says, so follow me. And Peter did. He followed him for his whole life. He gave everything up. And now he's finally coming uh, to, the fruition, to fruition, this, this prediction. He's coming to the moment. He, he knows the time is near, whether that's because Jesus has made it clear to him that he doesn't have much time left. And he writes this letter. Um, and he's telling pe- people to follow Jesus and follow that gospel just as he did even though it will be hard, okay? And what does Peter do in his last days? He knows his time is coming to an end. He knows he's terminal. What does he do with his last days? He says, I, in my last moments on earth, with my last energy, with whatever power I have left, I will make every effort to make sure that you don't forget this gospel 
that you have it, that you can recall it in every season, in every moment, in every time in history, so that it can do what it always does, save and reconcile. You see that? It's so profound. He knows his time is up. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't get a pen and a paper and make a bucket list. He doesn't try to squeeze in just a few more great earthly memories. He doesn't do that. He makes every effort to make sure the gospel is understood and focused on, that people have that moving forward. His brethren have that. Is that convicting to you? It sure is convicting to me. What will you do with the time you have left? Now, why, why can he do this? Why is he so dogged in his proclamation of the gospel and taking these truths to people and fighting against false teachers, even in the end, because he has seen Jesus Christ resurrected. And he's about to say, he's about to say in the next passage, we'll talk about this next week, he was even able to see Jesus transfigured on, uh, up on a mountain. Jesus took three of his closest disciples. Uh, this is before his cross and resurrection. Um, and, and he was transfigured. He began to glow and his face lit up. And all his clothes grew up and Elijah and Moses came down. He had that experience. He knows what's waiting for him on the other side. He knows the glory, the joy, the beauty, the majesty that awaits him after death. He's, he's not confused about that. And so he, out of love, gives everything he has till the last breath, and he gives it so that others might know. You see, Peter knows that glory. He's seen it in the transfiguration. He's seen it in the resurrection. He knows the joy ahead of him. He also knows the depths of his own depravity, of the wickedness of his own heart, and he knows that Jesus saved him from that, that by grace, his mind and his heart were transformed by Jesus. He knows the corruption of the world, and so he uses every last ounce of his energy, even though he knows he's dying, to help people turn back to the gospel that they were establishing, that they first heard. And he preaches against false teachers, false promises, false hope, false messages, and says, turn back to the gospel that I gave you. This is the heart of Peter as the pastor that Jesus had said. This is my sheep, feed them. Feed them what? The gospel. This is the heart of every pastor. As your pastor, this is my job description. And so I know some of you might think, man, I don't don't think Dave's saying enough about these racial injustice issues. I, I wish he said more. And some of you might be saying, I feel like he's saying too much about this. And so I know at some level I'm going to let everybody down, but this is my promise to you because I think this is my job description for our community. I will not let us forget about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not let us forget about the centrality, the majesty, the power, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I feel like my job is. So I ask for charity and grace, but but I, I will not stop talking about the gospel. That's what Peter is saying. As the pastor, i got to remind you of the gospel, he says. Now, that's his job description. I feel like that's my job description. And I just want to say this. I think for many of you listening right now, this is your job description in some relationship in your life. This is your job description. 
You are a Peter to somebody. And all the noise that's going on around us, and all of it, you are probably being called by Jesus to be a Peter, to remind people, to bring people back, to help them refocus on that which established them in Christ. Maybe this is in your biological family. Maybe even though you're younger, it's your job to to remind your parents or to remind your siblings of the centrality of the gospel, of the need for the gospel, and, and what that actually is. Maybe this is in your friend group, that you need to be the person, like Peter, that says, hey, let's not forget to also talk about how God has given us what we need in this moment, and how do we apply that gospel in the world? Maybe it's in your cohort. Maybe you need to help steer the conversation back to Jesus and the gospel. Again, not... not Removing all those other things, but just making sure the gospel is centered because the gospel saves. You are probably a Peter to someone. So, if this gospel message is the pillar of truth, the hope of the nations, the light to the human race, what is it? What does this gospel tell us? What is the gospel? I mean, we could throw that word, the gospel, out so much, but what actually is it? And why does it need to be centered? So so to answer that question, I want to go turn to Ephesians chapter 2, another letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's going to give, I'm going to read a long passage here, but I just think the word of God is power, Peter says. And later in in, in his letter in 2 Peter, he'll actually tell that, that Paul is writing scripture. He gives the the biggest nod to Paul as an apostle and one who writes scripture. So let's just see what Paul is saying that the gospel message is. So I'm going to just read Ephesians 2, 1 to 22, okay? So listen very closely. I think this is the gospel message. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, that is the individual gospel, that this is what God has done for us. But wait, Paul doesn't end there. Look at now he takes how our vertical reconciliation to God 
leads to horizontal reconciliation, a part of the gospel. He says in verse 11, therefore, the implication of this salvation by grace through faith is this. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh who were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh of hands. Here's what he's saying. Those of you who were not Jewish are going to be reconciled to those who are Jewish. These two ethnic peoples, Gentiles who are the uncircumcised and the circumcised who are the Jewish people, they had a history of bigotry and hatred that is so deep that that spans thousands of years. And Paul's about to say that the gospel is that those two groups are now one. Look at verse 12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, speaking to the Gentiles, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he's got the vision of the temple here because in in the temple in Jerusalem, um, uh, those who could be closest to the inner uh, sanctuary of God, the Holy of Holies, uh, were Jewish men. And then outside of that were um, the non-priest men. And then outside, further from it, were the female Jewish people. And then outside of that were all non-Jewish people. And he's saying, those of you who were far off, who had to see God from a distance, have now in Jesus been brought near. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between people of different ethnicities, socioeconomic class. Anyone who is different, Jesus has busted down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near Everybody needs Jesus for through him. We both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it reconciles us to God and it reconciles us to fellow man as we become one new humanity. The dividing walls are busted down. doesn't mean that the rubble has been taken away. It just means that God has done the demolition. The wall is gone and we spend our life removing the rubble now so that we can live in harmony and peace. But the work has been done. God does the reconciliation. This is the gospel 
This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. That's why I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power unto salvation, and it is the power unto reconciliation. I may be ashamed of the church at times throughout history. I may be ashamed of fellow Christians, or at least those who have called themselves Christians. But I am not ashamed of God. I am not ashamed of his word. I am not ashamed of what he has done in Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of Jesus, because I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I hope that you're not ashamed of the gospel either. Because we need the gospel now more than ever. And you have been given the work of reconciliation because you've been given and established in the word of reconciliation, the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us, for giving us the message of reconciliation. God, now we need your power. We need, we need your help. Uh, we, we need your wisdom in how to go about the work of clearing away the, the debris. God, give your church what it needs. Let us be the leaders in all things, starting with the gospel and moving out to the bringing of your kingdom here as it is in heaven. Give us patience and endurance and everything we need, but do not let us forget the gospel, the good news of what you've done in Jesus. Help us to come back to that as Peter fought his whole life for, to keep that at the center of who we are as a community and who we are as your people. God, we thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.